It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Monday, the 7th of March, and as always, I am joined by my good friend Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee. Good afternoon, Brandon. Good afternoon from a sunny Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, the weather up here, mid-70s, uh, almost as good as what it's like in Tampa, Florida, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're about the same, buddy, about low 80s. Uh, baseball and softball season is here. March Madness is just a week away, and Half the state of Tennessee is now coming down to Florida soon to buy all of our sunblock and smash beer cans on their foreheads, so that's wonderful. Great time of year (laughs) to be in Florida. Today we are joined by Alicia Longworth. Alicia has been testing out different shades of orange for two decades. She was a Hokie graduate and worked on the Virginia Tech Marketing Promotions team before moving to Gainesville at Florida. She was the Associate AD for Marketing and Creative and now is in Knoxville as a senior associate AD for external ops at Brandon's alma mater. So today we are going to talk about all things external. Welcome to Knox Talk, Miss Alicia. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Sorry that I have to spend the next 20, 30 minutes with Brandon, but I'll survive. Yeah, well, you're probably just down the hall. You get to see him every day. Did spend quite a bit of time with him today. <laughs> Paul, since, Paul, since her arrival in Knoxville, we all have a cross to bear. And unfortunately, Alicia has adopted or inherited me. So what uh, can I say? Uh, like a lost puppy. That's lovely. So Alicia, we're going to start with one of the biggest hurdles <laughs> of every athletic department in the entire country, and that's putting butts in seats. So how do we as college marketers really compete with the couch and the 72 inch big screen going forward. Do you have any big picture ideas of how they were gonna be able to evolve there? So um, you mentioned this, I, I've gotten the opportunity to spend some time at you know, three pretty large brands, three pretty large universities. And you know, what worked at Virginia Tech didn't work at Florida, what worked at Florida doesn't work at Tennessee. Um, providing unique experience, providing unique opportunities, um, I've said this my entire, I can't control wins and losses. I I can't control what the final score is on a scoreboard, but you know, what can I control outside of that? Whether it's, you know, in the lead up on game day prior to kickoff around campus and different activities that you can do, what can you do in the venue? Um, You know, all I know is yes, we we've got to drive attendance. Um, You know, our basketball season is a good example. We're 15 and 0 at home. Um, We're about to have our third straight sellout this year, which is the first time ever in the history of Tennessee basketball that we'll have three straight sellouts in a row. Um, You know, driving butts, driving excitement sometimes does lead to wins and lead to victories. So how do we keep that happening? How do we keep that energy up? Um, You know, no, I don't have the secret sauce. When I interviewed for this job, they said, you know, are you going to do what you did at Florida here? And I said, no, because your fans are not going to love that. Um, I said, I need to get to Tennessee, figure out what those linchpins are, figure out what those things are that keep people coming back to Neyland Stadium seven Saturdays a year, keep people walking into Thompson Bowling. And then how do we enhance those things? How do we make those things, you know, meaningful for Brandon's kids, meaningful for a new generation of fans that they're just as excited as John Ward was every single time he walked into Neyland Stadium. Uh, Alicia, can can you can you talk about 
in the fall in football. So, so you literally have been here almost a year. Uh, we joked about it earlier today. Uh, and you come in uh, in the midst of, of a pandemic. Um, and so you, you did the download and the digest of, of all things Tennessee. And then, then you start thinking about what creative ideas that you have around the football program and how you can do, how you can execute some of those things to start that make a difference in that fan experience. Can you talk about maybe a couple of examples of, of things that you implemented in the fall and then maybe the thought process behind how you arrived at those? I'll go back to when I got here last April and, and part of the reason taking this job was so easy for me. Um, I knew a lot of the people that were on staff here, um, the Jimmy Delaney's of the world, the Steve Early's of the world, the Link Hudson's of the world, Tom Sokoviak. Um, that group, what I would consider with a few others, like my brain trust that have been here for a while and know this fan base, know the city. Um, they have been tremendously helpful through this, this process. Um, you know, they, they kind of bought into what we were trying to do early and from educating me on all things Tennessee, they have been tremendous. Um, you know, and then I, I go back to June when our baseball team's having one of the best seasons they've ever had. Um, we get into the NCAA tournament and on Friday night, we are losing to Wright State. And if you lose the first game of the NCAA tournament in baseball, it's just hard, right? You got to come back through the weekend. You got to win a bunch of games Saturday, a bunch of games Sunday, and then try again on Monday. And when Drew Gilbert hit the walk-off home run, the energy level that was there for about 5,000, 5,500 fans, I remember looking around and being like, I can't wait till we pack Neyland. Like, if this is what we've got as a fan base, and if this is the passion that we have, holy like, this is going to be unbelievable. So starts there. Then team and I are, you know, game planning what we can do. And before I had gotten here, Danny was already in progress on putting the LED lights in, doing a few things around Neyland. And, you know, my job was, he jokes a lot, like sprinkle pixie dust on it and, and make it more exciting, right? He sprinkled pixie dust and make it entertaining, so we get through a few games and then we start talking about Ole Miss. And, and we had known all along how much excitement would be around that game and, and what, what ends up being a night game, ends up being a sellout, our first sellout since 2017. So what we were able to do with our pregame that is so iconic, you know, running through the tee is one of those things that if you are a sports fan, like you've got to be in Neyland and you've got to see it. Um, taking the lights down, letting our VFL Films crew do an unbelievable video, then us using all of our boards, all of our different, you know, lights, fireworks, everything that we could get in there into about a three and a half, four minute, what we would call show, right before the band comes on, right before our team comes out. And then as the team comes out, lighting up the tee with all the lights dark, um, you know, you get that moment in basketball a lot when your arena is dark and then you get to light your team when they come out. You don't always get that in football. So um, being able to do that in year one um, was quite the feat. It, again, credit to Josh Heupel for the excitement that he built around our football program and for helping us sell out that football game. But yeah, that night was pretty special. I, I joked earlier today that when Steve Early was came in and gave me a fist pound afterwards, Steve, a true traditional Tennessee fan, I knew we had done something right. So, 
He talked, wish you, he talked about how great that was at Tennessee. And that's really, you're, you're, you're talking about the things you can control. Like you said, you know, it's great. The basketball team went 15 and 0 and drove some sellouts, but that's not the case all over the country. You know, there, there are people out there that are not 15 and 0 and are still trying to drive, drive ticket sales. And really it's the things we can control as marketers, which is what you're talking about. That three minute show you put on before the fans walk through the stadium. I'm going to give you a, a, a reverse example uh, from my alma mater. We hired a new coach. Uh, five years ago, four years ago, um, who came down and we have uh, at, at Florida State, they have a very huge liberal arts school. Because of that, they have a very huge music program. Because of all that, they have a massively talented and huge band. Uh, we have 70 years of listening to that band play, uh, doing a great job with it. Um, and so the band becomes a big part of probably most college uh, environments, but certainly uh, in Florida State is a massive part because they're talented and they do a great job pregame and they have a bunch of traditions they do pregame. We got a new coach that was hired, like I said, four or five years ago. And on the opening day, a night game like you had on a Monday night against Virginia Tech on Labor Day weekend, we had uh, the band was basically told to sit and they played rap music over and over. They brought in a DJ. Uh, it was a complete uh, shit show uh, for 45 minutes before the team actually came on the field. So the fans, obviously unhappy as the game started, they they lost the game, which didn't help. But then people wrote the boosters, they wrote their ticket office, they people who were 50 to 70 said, I'm done, I'm not coming back. These are all things you can control. And it was it was a disaster. Well, you know, the next game, it was fixed. And by game three, they had gone back to letting pageantry take over. And it's but I got to tell you, it's not always easy, right? Because yes, you want pageantry, but jumping back to where Brandon kind of fits in, sponsorship is also paying bills and there's things you want to do and you want to make sure they're fan engaging and you have all those hoops and hurdles, but you got to pay the bills and you got to have the pageantry, but college game is still college. So how do you balance those requests that come in that maybe don't feel right? And how do you figure out when to say yes to a sponsor request that you hope will enhance the game experience? I mean, you know, you don't, I, I don't try to take it one by one. Um, you know, I think you have to, for starters, build a relationship with your sponsorship team, right? So they understand the big picture that you're all bought in together as to what we're trying to do. Because truthfully, some of these sponsorships shouldn't take away from the entertainment. They shouldn't take away from the pageantry. You find a way to make it naturally fit in. Now, does that work all the time? No, it doesn't, right? You're going to have some that, whether they're a national deal, whether they're just a deal that, you know, the, the sponsor, the vendor is very adamant about what they want, how they want it done, and, and we have to deliver. But, you know, Specifically at this property, um, Brandon and Steve and that team, they've done such a good job of protect, protecting the integrity of game day and everything around it that it's not really been a problem. Now, just sometimes those promotions go exactly how we want them to. No, um, we just had a recent experience that I think we all thought was a great idea and that the sponsor was going to be super enthused and would be this great moment for a big sponsor and it just kind of fell flat in less than 15 seconds let's unpack um, <laughs> yeah you want to unpack it <laughs> yeah i can do we, 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 get, we always talk about these wild tennessee successes brandon's never had anything go wrong in the history of the school so I'm, i'd really love to hear what didn't go right okay so we were doing a half court shot for one of our biggest sponsors um brandon is like 
just telling us how good the contestant is that we have, that he's practiced, that he's made a few. He rears back one-handed to throw it. And it doesn't even, I mean, he's like 10 feet short of the um, rim. The best part about all of this is that as they're getting set up, I'm up top a little bit and I'm like, oh my God, they don't have a ball. So they have gone out, they've gotten all their little A-frames, they've got signage everywhere, the contestants, we've read the PA, there's no ball. You only so have one I'm job. I'm watching Brandon and I'm like, oh my God, he's about to grab the game ball and the official is going to just light into him. He grabs the game ball. Attaboy, that Brandon. is marking where the ball should be out of bounds. <laughs> and he tosses it to the contestants. <laughs> and what did the official say to you, Brandon? So the official came over and he said, son, you realize that's the game ball. And I said, yes, sir, I do. And I will have it back to you in like 10 seconds, I promise. But, you know, it, it's, it was a great example, actually, to our team that no matter how prepared that you think you are, and I had prepared an activation plan minute by minute and orchestrated exactly all the beauty of the pageantry of the signage, just like Alicia said, but I forgot the most important piece, the actual ball that was going to be used for the shot. So um, now as fate would have it, I, I look at it more from the cup half full standpoint. If I'd been on the other side of the court, I would not have had access to the ball. So in theory, it actually worked out to my benefit because I happened to be within 10 feet of the ball. Just the only issue was the, uh, the official was not too, not too happy that I, that I came over and took his game ball. Did you poke and it I off? Did not, you poke it away from him, Brandon? Did you like, was it sitting on his hip, on his hand, and you just went up there and stole it, like, like you know, just and put yourself on the stat sheet? He had the ball placed where Tennessee was going to inbound the ball on the on the sideline, and so I went over and picked the ball up, basically from the location where we were going to inbound the the next play from, and and threw it to the shooter. So okay. once we did that, I knew. I knew he may throw me out of the arena, but we're going to get to take this shot regardless. Well, it's all about the sponsor. I mean, let's let's be honest. So I, I'm going to change subject slightly, Alicia. I know you're thankful for that. One of my personal favorite kind of fan experience pet peeves, which it, it's probably not a probably not a big deal at Florida, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with this stat. There are nine million people that live within two hours of the University of Florida. There's nine hundred thousand people live within two hours of of, of Tallahassee. Uh, Knoxville, Virginia Tech, similar situations. People have to drive three, four, five, six hours to get to the games. So when a fan or a family is trying to make a decision about whether to come to the game, one of the biggest concerns from a cost perspective is hotel, right? Hotel. How do I pay for a weekend? Because a lot of these um, situations, certainly in Tallahassee, certainly in Blacksburg, Blacksburg has like maybe a hotel and a half, but Knoxville has some. But the idea is, is that you, they'll charge four times the going rate on a football weekend than they would any other time. So as a external person, does that question ever come up for you when they say, hey, how do we get this cadre of hotels within 25 miles of this school to help us? Because that's what's becoming unaffordable for the fan is just the whole travel piece, isn't it? Yeah, so um, I made a really wise decision to go to Gainesville in 2010. So just after they had won back-to-back -back national championships in basketball and then a football title in 06 and then in 08, 09, you know, they had a tough year. They only went to the SEC championship in football. But so I get there in 10. And um, truthfully, our, our football season tickets were a little bit on decline. 
Um, that was Urban's last year there as the head coach. Um, Tim had graduated the year before. And then um, men's basketball, the year after they won the second title, they went to the NIT tournament, made the NCAA tournament the year before I got there, but got beaten the very first game in the very the first round. Like they were the first team out of the NCAA tournament. So we were talking about everything, right? Because Florida had had 10 years of being as successful as you could be at the highest point and our season tickets were then coming down. And why is that? Um, and we had a lot of conversations about gas prices, about hotels, about going to college football games for a long time was a very affordable way for families to have entertainment on Saturdays, but it has turned into a weekend affair that it is more like a mini vacation than it is a Saturday driving the family down going to the afternoon game and then being able to get home three or four hours away. 100%. Um, we, we, we tried really hard that the local hotels and, and to do different things there in that area, especially, you know, again, when the Gators were playing Florida state um, in November, we were selling the stadium out. But when we were playing FAU the first weekend, or when we were playing ball state, the third weekend, you know, we had to be pretty creative with what our tickets cost. Um, you know, were there things that we could do within the community for, for food prices? Um, we also, I lived through a unique experience that we one year canceled two football games because of a hurricane. Then we came back the next year and canceled another one because of a hurricane. Lee Douglas would tell you we're like the experts in canceling football games. And then we got COVID. So our community took tremendous hits with the number of people that weren't coming to Gainesville. Some local restaurants that everybody loved closed in those years because we canceled football games due to hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the impact a place like the University of Florida can have on a community. Blacksburg's no different, right? Knoxville's a little bit bigger. The city's a little bit bigger that it doesn't totally depend on the university. Sure, this is a big part of the community. But in Gainesville, if UF is not playing football, people will lose money and jobs will go under because 90,000 people aren't coming on a Saturday. Yeah, but it's, it, I guess going back to the, the question, do you think there is there something, does the university have power? Because it doesn't seem like they do. And I'm not, this is not your problem, but it's just a, it's a universal problem, right? When a hotel is $110 on a Wednesday and $520 on a Friday and Saturday, a family says, yeah, I could maybe buy the $100 ticket, but good golly, how am I going to spend thirteen hundred dollars for the for the three tickets in the and in, in the hotel room? It just becomes it becomes a hard thing uh, for for universities. I know it's going to be a challenge, and I don't know. You said Knoxville's a little bit bigger, so maybe you don't have the challenge in Knoxville that you have other places. Brandon, do you have a comment on that? I, I do. I think I think it's a universal problem for sports and special events. Um, I was in Daytona two weeks ago for the Daytona Five Hundred, and the same. The same thing happens there when it's speed weeks in Daytona, all of the hotels triple or quadruple their, their rates. Um, and, and I think it really comes down to the whole supply and demand conversation. And if, if they ask for this rate, so long as their individuals willing to pay it, um, that doesn't make it right. Um, but, but they'll get that going rate for it. Uh, Knoxville, I do think is a little bit different. And Alicia mentioned this, it is bigger. I think what we see here in this market, if you want to stay downtown near campus, you're going to pay a significant premium rate. But if you get outside of downtown and, and you're staying in North Knoxville or West Knoxville or what have you, 
there are some some more price friendly accommodations that are available but but the downtown hotels they they understand they have seven or eight weekends a year where where, where they're going to have an opportunity to max it out and they take advantage of it um and you know part of this conversation i think really becomes more almost like a global economic situation when fans stop coming to games and they're not willing to pay the premium rates on the hotels, uh, then, then everyone's forced to adjust and then prices will come down and so forth. Um, no, that's true, Brad. I mean, it's, it's supply and demand. You're right. And I, don't, I, I know there was an answer. I just want to, it, it's certainly something I, at least you answered the question by saying, yes, we think about that because it's, it's hard. I mean, athletic departments, they yeah. have to consider that. I hear cost all the time as for reasons why people don't come to games. And sometimes it's not the cost of our tickets. It's the cost of the whole weekend. And so all of these things are factors. And again, you asked, do we have control of it? No, we don't really have control of it. Can we try? Can we try to have good partners? And can we have partners who try to run specials? Sure. But to bring, it's, it's an economics problem. We don't really have any control over it. All of the uniqueness here we have had the most difficult time with that category from a sponsorship standpoint, because they all say the same thing. You guys have your events on campus and we're selling out for all of those events. So what's the need for us to market or advertise? And it's, it can be a fair point. Um, but, but again, I, I think overall it becomes that supply and demand conversation. You're right. So let's talk about some of the things that we do control Alicia that are maybe sponsor friendly and so i'll let you two because you two work together all the time uh, not just at lunch so tell me about maybe some things that that are that have added to the pageantry that have changed the dynamics for the fan that will help either drive attendance or drive fan experience that are related um to sponsor questions or sponsor um, requests uh, I, I know that around the country i've done a bunch of friday night events i know brandon's doing that as well um, you talked about making it a weekend. You want the fans, they're going to have to pay a two-night minimum at that hotel we just cursed out. But they probably, um, you want to give them something to do on that Friday night. And you want to give them something to do on that Saturday morning. Uh, and, and so what are the things that you guys have done together, maybe from an integration perspective, uh, from uh, that, that had a sponsor, maybe a sponsor started the thought and then uh, the school finished it? I'll start with our Truly's tailgate. Um, so a couple, couple things there. It was right outside of our football stadium that, um, an hour prior to gates opening, fans could go in there. They could get a drink. They could get food. They could hang out. They could kind of come and go for that first hour. But then once gates opened, they were in and they were just in there. Um, so twofold, the sponsor really wanted to do it. Um, in the area that we opened it, our Concessions areas, our concourses, our restrooms are small. Um, our concession stands are really old. Um, we needed an extra footprint to pull some people outside of the stadium, basically extend the concourse um, to give them a little breathing room because the south end of our, our stadium is just, it's, it's very old. Uh, a lot of it hasn't been touched since, you know, some might say the 1940s. So um, adding a place that they could get food, they could get drinks, they could have a restroom and then have it branded by a sponsor, one in the alcohol category that, as we all know, in, in college athletics, the SEC, we've been slow to, to get into that category, slow to open it up. But, you know, we can all sell alcohol in our stadiums now if we choose to do so. 
Um, we can have some of these activations outside of our stadiums. We still can't do much inside the footprint. So that spot worked out really well. It helped our concessionaire. Um, the area that it is in, we used to have ridiculously long beer lines and concession lines. Um, the fire marshal, every single game would be all over our ops team about we need to move these lines. People are getting too congested. But when we added that area, we didn't have that anymore. Um, so it alleviated some of the stress. And then it was really good from a sponsor perspective. I mean, actually, Brandon and I just just chatted recently with our sponsor about this. Brandon, anything you want to add there? Yeah, you know, one of the things in sponsorship that's becoming more and more evident every day is while a lot of our traditional assets, whether it be 30 second commercials on radio or television or an ad in the souvenir program, a lot of those things are still pertinent, but a, a lot of clients want to have an experience for their brand. They want, they want our fans to be able to engage with the brand in an experiential way, uh, sort of non-traditional. And, and so this, this conversation was a welcome conversation from our perspective as, as it fit into the whole mold of how do we continue to celebrate the tradition, but then also modernize our game experience and uh, help alleviate some problems. And obviously Truly's played perfectly into that. But I'll say this for anyone that's listening that's within an athletics department or on the multimedia rights side, I can't, I can't emphasize how important communication is. And we're fortunate here to have really daily dialogue with Alicia and her team. And in a lot of instances, from a sponsorship standpoint, we'll take the lead off what her vision is on a go-forward basis. And when we are out meeting and pitching sponsors and clients, um, we try to incorporate that vision into the conversation so that we can start to marry up some of Alicia's ideas with sponsor engagement. And, and if we can get the sponsor excited about something new, uh, then we feel like we're already going to have the buy-in from the fans because it's a new, it's a new element to game day. Um, but that communication is vitally important. And certainly, I, I feel a lot more equipped when I go to market after hearing Alicia's vision so that I can try to help steer that sponsorship conversation to areas and promotions and things that we want to try to activate maybe versus some of the more traditional things that don't move the needle from the in venue experience. Brandon, that is really, that's great because that, that's, that is unique. Again, I, we say this a lot. I mean, every school's got unique pieces. Uh, if the athletic department in Tennessee is feeding you concepts that you can take to market, uh, that is amazing because it really does allow them who've already thought about the pain experience first to come to you and give you an opportunity to go to something to a client that they know is already ready-made and going to get a yes and so it finishes great. Yeah, and, and let me bring this full circle. So the conversation we talked about earlier with our half-court shot, in theory, when that concept came about in the summer, it was going to be used as a social media lead generation campaign for a client, and that was the purpose around it. We, we thought, okay, offering a fan an opportunity to hit a half-court shot for a $10,000 gift card would be a great fan enhancement, and who doesn't get excited about watching a fan make a shot and celebrate with them? Okay, did it come off exactly like we hoped it would in the moment? No, but it gives us a chance to go back to the client and talk about, which we've already done with Alicia, 
if we do this again next year, how would we do it differently to make it more impactful, not only for the sponsor, but more engaging for the fan? Um, and again, all of that goes back to just having that open line of communication back and forth. I get it. I get it. All right. Well, we're going to, uh, this is going to wrap up uh, our first uh, podcast with Alicia. We're going to do a two-parter uh, with this special guest. So we'll be back again very soon with part two. We appreciate you uh, listening. So for Brandon and Paul, thank you for listening to Knox Talk. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Yeah.